A quick note for this particular podcast episode, all of the live audio that you hear in this podcast that is not my voice is taken directly from the events that I'm covering. Isn't that kind of cool? Also in this podcast episode, there is a lot of rock music. If you're not a fan of rock music, you might not like this episode. I'm a fan of rock music, so I really enjoyed it. All right, enjoy the show. Ladies and gents, welcome again to the podcast. We're back and we're doing it again. This is going to be a fun one. So uh, I'm just going to start off really quick. As I always say, this podcast is not intended to be any kind of elaborate or meticulous explanation of any of the things I explain. It's only intended to be a general overview of the, of the events that took place. So you have a springboard to do your own research wherever you would like. If you enjoy the podcast, head over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and give it a five-star review. It really helps us get people more involved with the conversations about history. This is Tanner Talks About Stuff That Happened. I'm Tanner, and I am going to be talking about stuff that happened. Now, I'm a huge fan of rock concerts. I'm a huge fan of rock concerts. And honestly, that's why this quarantine has been so hard for me, because I haven't been able to go to any in seven months at least. It's killing me. I go as often as I can, because I love to see bands. I love having the time of their lives on stage. And myself, rocking out with a thousand people I've never met in the audience because we all have this shared interest and we're all celebrating the same thing. I love rock music and I love rock concerts. And so when I decided on this particular topic, I just couldn't wait to get it started. Cause today we're talking about how Metallica took down the Soviet Union. Well, okay, not exactly, but kind of. Today we're talking about the Monsters of Rock concert that took place in the Soviet Union in September of 1991, only months before the dissolution of the Soviet Union, and what would be remembered as not only the largest heavy metal concert in history, but possibly the largest music festival of all time. So a lot of factors came into play to create this insane experience, so let's break it down real quick. Jump in the time machine, folks, we are heading to... It is August of 1991, and what you're hearing are actual sounds from the Soviet Union in the August of 1991. The nation is in a state of unrest. The attempted liberalization of economics by Mikhail Gorbachev had been met with stiff opposition by segments of the Soviet military, and such liberalization had also introduced the Soviet people to the idea that their oppression had been total for decades. Perhaps capitalism had not been as evil as they had imagined, or as they had been told, rather. When such opposition led to a military coup in August of 1991, meaning that the new liberal ideas could be done away with and strict communist rhetoric reinstated, the Soviet people were furious, and the entire nation erupted into protests. The military coup lasted for one week, and it ultimately failed in ousting Premier Boris Yeltsin, but it shook the nation, who was already in the throes of an identity crisis. Were they communist? Were they capitalist? Were they a blend of the two? Were they authoritarian? Were they pro-free speech? Were they both? No one really knew. For the past four years, the Soviets had been battling protests in Estonia, Latvia, Armenia, Georgia, and other Iron Curtain states, and in 1989, they had engaged in what they called, quote, limited democratization, where the people voted for the first time since 1917 in electing a, congr uh, a Congress of People's Deputies. 
From 1989 to 1991, this organization would be the highest body of state authority until the dissolution of the Soviet Union, and the people had been allowed to elect the members, giving them a strong taste of the democratic process that they didn't want to get rid of so easily. Coinciding this was the first live broadcast of legislative deliberation in the Soviet Union, where the populace was allowed to witness previously feared and unchallenged Soviet officials being questioned and held accountable for wrongful actions. Again, the Soviet people were suddenly empowered and upset that they had been so long oppressed by simple men. In the following years, the vast majority of states in the Iron Curtain, including Poland, Latvia, Moldova, Armenia, and Georgia, would oust their communist governments and replace them with democracies. In March of 1991, the Union held a referendum to ask the populace if they supported reform, and over 75% voted yes. The Soviets knew they were losing control. And it was only a matter of time before their own populace turned on them. They were desperate. Premier Mikhail Gorbachev dissolved all party units in the Soviet government and resigned as the general secretary in August of 1991, letting President Boris Yeltsin inherit a mess that no one had any idea how to handle. Basically, the nation was on its last legs, and pretty much everyone knew it. The country was scrambling to retain any semblance of control over the people and their external borders, but those too were crumbling. Left and right, countries were electing to declare independence from the Soviet Union, and borders were being redrawn basically every day. The Soviets were attempting to use the Red Army to quell unrest in places like Armenia and Azerbaijan, but there were things in motion that could not be undone. With the globalization of culture and mass media, including the liberalization of many Russian press agencies, the Soviet people were now being exposed to lifestyles outside of the Union, and many products and cultures were seeding their way into the nation. Among these seeds planted in the Union were seeds of Western music. Prior to Mikhail Gorbachev's reforms in the late 1980s, all foreign rock music was effectively banned behind the Iron Curtain, but dedicated fans had found ways to stay up to date with Western bands, even managing to get their hands on smuggled or bootlegged records. However, the opportunity to witness those bands performing live was simply out of the question. With the reforms brought about in the late 1980s, the Soviet Union was beginning to offer a new normal where live music could happen at select venues on select dates with select groups. It was stringent, but it meant concertgoers could now witness live music from famous Western artists, something unheard of in their lifetimes. In 1987, one of the first major music festivals in the Soviet Union hosted Carlos Santana, James Taylor, the Doobie Brothers, and others brought 18,000 spectators to the party. Two years later, the Moscow Music Peace Festival brought a more rowdy lineup with Ozzy Osbourne, Skid Row, Cinderella, Scorpions, Bon Jovi, and one of my favorites, Motley. To a crowd of 80,000. Some concert goers traveled 600 miles or more to, just to see a live concert. So in 1991, the shambled government of the Soviet Union finally took notice of the unity that these kind of concerts had brought to the table. They decided it was a great way to demonstrate their caretaking and notice of the Soviet people and 
that was to give them one great big rock concert. So they set their sights on the Monsters of Rock Festival. The Monsters of Rock Festival was an ongoing music festival that had its origins back in 1979, with a concert in California hosting Aerosmith, Ted Nugent, and ACDC being nicknamed the Monsters of Rock. It wasn't actually called the Monsters of Rock, that was just a nickname it had been given. But in 1980, the name had gained more traction, and an official festival was held to capitalize on it, hosting Rainbow, April Wine, Riot, Judas Priest, Scorpions, and others, attracting 35,000 concertgoers. Originally, it was meant to be a one-off event, but seeing the success of the show caused organizers to consider the idea of making it an annual thing. So, they did. In the next decade, numbers of attendees of these festivals would swell to well above 100,000 every year, and the festival graduated from having one big headliner to a pecking order of blockbuster acts, such as Guns N' Roses and Whitesnake, Kiss, Poison, ZZ Top, Van Halen, Iron Maiden, Pantera, the list goes on and on, and by 1991, it was a worldwide phenomenon with acts touring internationally with the festival. The Soviet Union decided they wanted a piece of that pie. It fit exactly what they wanted. And they decided to invite a select few acts who they thought would be most successful to the Soviet Union for one huge music bash. Now remember, the Soviet government was essentially in full control of most entertainment in the country, and with a concert this big, it had to be government-ordained. But the old Soviet ministers knew next to absolutely nothing about rock music, so they elected just to invite some of the biggest names they had heard of to the show. And these big names happened to be ACDC, Metallica, Pantera, the Black Crows, and a Russian band called EST. It just so happened that the Soviet concert organizers who had little knowledge of rock music had accidentally crafted one of the greatest metal concert lineups in history. So the date for the concert was set for September 28th, 1991, after these groups had all accepted their invitations, and it would take place in Moscow. The Soviets had very little in the way of concert space, so the Monsters of Rock organizers asked for any large open space, and they would handle the staging, the rigging, and pretty much everything else. All they needed was a space. The Soviet Union had a long-since de decommissioned airfield called Tushino Airfield, and decided that for a wide-open space away from the public, this was the best bet. Looking at the exponential growth of the last two festivals, they predicted a crowd of around 100,000 to 200,000 concertgoers. The stage was set for this music festival that was going to happen in the Soviet Union on an abandoned airstrip. There was plenty of space, it was gonna be fine. And this would be a great way to unite the Soviet people under, would you know it, rock music. But they underestimated in a catastrophic way. In a further attempt to please the people, and as a nod to their communist roots, the concert was completely free of charge for anyone who wanted to attend. So what happens when you put on a concert in the largest city in a nation who has been a communist for almost a century and blocked most Western music in that time, with that concert featuring five huge bands that citizens have been more or less forbidden to listen to up to that point, and then you make the concert free? What happens? Mayhem. 
The night before the concert, concert goers from as far away as Lithuania were already arriving at Tushino Airfield to get a spot close to the stage, and through the night, the numbers continued to swell. By the morning, the Soviet Union had called in 1,000 Red Army troops to assist with crowd control, but already over 100,000 people had arrived at the airfield, with the concert not being scheduled to start for another six hours or so, and the crowd continued to grow. By the time Pantera took the stage, over 500,000 people were in attendance, and Pantera set it all off with their song, Domination. This is called Domination! Now, most of you know that I script most of my episodes, but I want to say something that is not scripted really quick. Just imagine you're living in a, co a communist country for your whole life, never really heard live music, and then you go to a live show and this is the first thing you hear. Needless to say, it got pretty rowdy pretty quick. If you listen to the podcast often, you know that I love putting things into perspective. And so to put this into perspective, Coachella 2019, which happens in California every year, except for 2020, unfortunately, had about 100,000 festival goers per day. This concert, at the time of its opener, meaning the first band that came out at a lineup of five bands, not a lot of people show up for openers. I go to a lot of concerts, and if you go to see the opener, you go for about maybe half the size of the crowd. But this was five times the size of Coachella 2019 at its height. And the day was just getting started. The Russian band EST took the stage to showcase their song Bully, which condemned police brutality in the USSR, and that got the crowd more riled than Pantera even did. And during their set, the crowd swelled to over 750,000 or more. If you've ever really listened to Pantera, which I showed you a little bit of it, you know that their music has a particular effect on metalheads, and by the time EST was halfway through their set, the Red Army had begun cracking down on mosh pits, and particularly wild rockers in the crowd, leading to fights breaking out between the audience members and the Red Army soldiers. EST eventually stopped their set to condemn the violence and ask the audience to settle down. Now remember, the Red Army was unfamiliar with the concept of a mosh pit. So when they saw a bunch of audience members pushing and shoving each other around, they thought it was a fight, so they swooped in to break it up. Now this is funny to me, because I've been in a significant amount of mosh pits in my time as an avid rock concert goer, and watching videos of Red Army soldiers trying to break up a fight that wasn't actually a fight was actually pre pretty, pretty funny to me. But following EST, the Black Crows brought a less rowdy feeling to the stage, setting a more synthesized and psychedelic tonality which gave the exhausted audience a break. This was perhaps intentional, because prior to the Black Crows performance, festival organizers had alerted the band to the state of the crowd. And they said, quote, The militia is overreacting. We just hope they can stay in, stay in control. Johnny Colt of the Black Crows responded, I have no idea what's going to happen. I'm just going to keep playing and hope we come out. After the Black Crows exited the stage, the audience took some time to relax while the stage was set for the next act. The Red Army soldiers returned to their posts and the mosh pit subsided, leaving the audience somewhat subdued. But that quickly shifted with the entrance of the next band, who was about to make their mark on Soviet history forever. 
Dressed almost entirely in black, with long ratty hair and fireworks going off in the background, the heavy metal band Metallica erupted onto the stage, sending the crowd, which had now peaked at over 1.5 million attendees, into an absolute frenzy. The mosh pits returned, and the Red Army completely lost control of the situation for the rest of the concert. In fact, during Metallica's set, members of the Red Army, who had been instructed to control the audience during the show, began to defect, taking off their hats and helmets and joining in the fun! Red Army helicopters began swooping overhead, but couldn't even be heard over the roar of the crowd and the roar of the music. Their intention was to intimidate the crowd, but the crowd would not be intimidated. Looking out over a sea of rockers as far as the eye could see, as the sun set over Tushino Airfield, Metallica played what is now considered to be one of the greatest live rock sets of all time. Many historians look at the sudden defection of Red Army soldiers into the audience and the unwillingness of the people to be intimidated by the low-flying helicopters as a mentality shift in the Soviet youth away from fear and into solidarity that would eventually lead to the dissolution of the Soviet Union. Riots broke out during Metallica's set more than once, with people actively attacking Red Army troops, leading to further defections. So, yeah, it can be argued that Metallica took down the Soviet Union. After Metallica left the stage, the sun had gone down and darkness had fallen across Tushino Airfield. The audience was tired after a day of rocking out, and it was getting cold. Many people began leaving the festival to return home, but a majority stayed, well aware of what was to come. It was the grand finale, after all, and one of my longtime favorite bands. Hailing from Australia with temperatures quickly plummeting as night fell in Russian September, ACDC took the stage for an audience of still well over one million people and played, again, a fantastic set, even enjoying a healthy encore. By the time ACDC's set had ended, every person in the crowd was absolutely wiped out, and they began the lengthy dispersal from the airfield. I just can't imagine what parking was like. In the next week, international newspapers covered the event with headlines such as Metal Shakes Moscow. Western outlets labeled it as an empowering event for Soviet youth, and several members of the former Soviet Union who were present at the concert corroborate that claim, such as Artemy Troitsky, uh, Trotsky maybe, co-organizer of the festival. He says, quote, September 1991 was a time when we felt like everything was possible, and the democratic, westernized youth was the boss. 
By the beginning of November, the Soviet Union had dissolved into 15 separate countries. And on December 25th, 1991, the Soviet flag was lowered over Moscow and replaced with the Russian tricolor. Less than three months after the Monsters of Rock concert at Tushino Airfield, the Soviet Union, which had once been one of the most terrifying nations on the planet, had officially fallen, all thanks to the ideas and beliefs brought into the country by great thinkers, courageous defiance, and yes, musical acts such as Metallica. All right, that's going to do it for me this week. This was an extremely fun episode. I don't know if you have noticed with this particular episode, but I have been having a lot of fun working on different kinds of audio, different kinds of clips, using sound effects, that kind of crazy stuff. And I'm learning how to do it. And this has actually been really, really fun. And I mean, of course, I am an absolute rocker. I love rock music. And so this was particularly fun. I love history. I love rock music. I love hearing about countries falling apart <laughs> and learning about those stories. So this was really, really fun. So thank you for joining me on this podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, like I said, head over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts, drop a five-star review, and even write me something nice if you feel so inclined. Thank you again. I will be back next week with another episode. Catch you then. See you later. Until then, Rock out to Metallica, dissolve your governments if they are tyrannical. If they're not tyrannical, don't. Just listen to Metallica. Enjoy the rest of your week, everybody.